Good evening. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead. I'm your host for this week, Liana, joined by our friends, freelance writer Rowan Kaiser. Hello. And PC Gamer's online editor, Fraser Brown. Hello. And we are talking about the one of the bigger strategy game releases for this year. It is Amplitude's historical 4X. I'm going to call it a direct Civ competitor. I think that that's Absolutely. very much what Absolutely. they were going for. I, I've seen a couple people be like, oh, I don't think they were trying to be a Civ killer. And I'm like, no, I think they were. That's um, a dumb take. <laughs> they should be ashamed. That's really stupid. Yeah. Amplitude themselves are like, we saw things, all these things about Civ yeah. that we wanted to fix. So we made a Civ. Well, no, except they're the, I, I think they're not allowed. I don't think anyone from Amplitude is allowed to say the word Civ or Civilization because they always avoid it in any interview I do. But, it, but they it's, they talk about <laughs> it in it interviews our, our competitors anyway. or, yeah, or something like that. Yeah. It's so Civ. Um, it's even more Civ than is. Old World, which was very, very oh, yeah. Civ. Definitely. It's more Civ than Civ 5 or Civ 6. <laughs> it's a uh yeah it's it's a historical 4x where you start out in in like you know caveman times and you go all the way up to like space age um it has uh, one of has, the things that ends the game is colonizing another planet which in real life might actually happen um <laughs> if we continue to pour money into that um yeah uh but they yeah they're they're positioning it as as you know um an alternative to the the series we have played for all these years um what fraser what is different what are the first things that you're going to notice that are different about humankind that that are uh not not exactly like civ has been for the past few years nothing it's exactly like civ. No, <laughs> okay so, i'm just no, i'm right. just kidding it actually there's there's quite a lot of differences yeah. um uh-huh. you can you can tell the sort of places where amplitude were interested in fixing and had seen things they wanted Civ to change but were sick of waiting around for Firaxis to do it. Uh, yeah. And it begins right at the start because instead of picking a Civ and then immediately settling so you can begin the, the great historic race, you have a wee wander around the world as a nomadic tribe, just having a lovely time picking up fruit, yeah. fight, fighting mammoths, which is a lot of fun. I and like just, that. I was like, I want this game. I want this as like a whole game. <laughs> yeah, you're just exploring, and it's it's yeah, actually yeah. such a such a brilliant way to start the game because instead of diving straight into your first city and not even really knowing what's around you, you have quite a lot of time to push back the fog of war, meet other um, not quite yet civilizations. You can get into little low stakes fights. There's all it, it's like a tutorial without the tutorializing because it doesn't necessarily teach you all the big concepts of the game, but it does ease you into it for I'd say what like 10, 15 turns maybe. Uh, and it's it's not always lackadaisical and chilled out. like there is tension. Yeah, uh-huh. and especially if after the the first time you do it and if you've increased the difficulty beyond the default, then you will notice it's actually quite a, a tense race because the first person to activate the first era of civilization the ancient era they get first pick of the list of cultures so they're that they're really the first one to start the game proper so they get dibs on whatever they want and those early turns like they can get quite an advantage 
if they get there early enough. But there's also advantages to just spreading out and seeing more of the yeah. world and not having yeah. the pressure to build up. And you can also, like, really fuck up your opponents in the early game if you just charge at them with a big tribe of Neolithic nomads. You could really screw things up for them. Yeah. Even uh -huh. though you've not that, developed the concept of war yet. That's the big thing about it is that, like, when you start a game of Civ or most 4Xs, like, how exactly the, the setup around you exists is, like, massively important to the point where like within three to ten turns sometimes you could say oh i'm fucked time to start a new mm -hmm. game in this you can have a situation where you like almost instantly pop that first culture but that first city you found you don't know what the whole situation around it is like you don't know if or the first outpost you say on the found that will become your first city uh you just don't have an idea of if you're in the right perfect place. You don't have a very large tribe to defend it. I had one game where I was able to just like pop that first city almost instantly. Like there were there were other other uh, my other rivals that were taking like twenty turns to get through the Neolithic, but that city was just kind of there waiting, um, which I thought created this really interesting dynamic of. Uh, yeah, I, I exist as a civilization, but I'm sedentary and I'm like, we can don't have the flexibility that I might have had had I waited. I got the sieve that I wanted. I thought the Egyptians are going to be great here, blah, blah, blah. But uh, there are trade offs as opposed to civilization, which is just like instantly race, race, race. And if you're not winning mm -hmm. that race almost instantly, you may as well quit. Yeah, it, it's funny because like the first couple games I played, uh, I did kind of like the chill exploration, like, oh, I'm just going to explore the world and find some science and see where all the coastlines are and stuff. And uh, then I realized that if you do that on the higher difficulties, you will just end up completely boxed in for the entire game. So I ended up restarting. It's like, OK, now it's like every time I have enough influence, I'm going to found an outpost on that turn. <laughs> To get as much land, like access to as much land as possible, uh, before I. But then you, but then you have shitty outposts. Culture, what's that? But then you have shitty outposts. Well, no, because I would scout the entire area first and figure out where the best uh, place so in it, that area. So it wasn't immediately go. when you got that first amount of influence. It was because I. Here's what I did: is I split up all of my tribes into single stacks and just sent them in every direction. So that I could scout as much land as I possibly could. And then the second I had enough influence, I knew exactly where my next outpost was going to go. And I basically kind of won that campaign or at least got off to a good start by just starting with way more land than anyone else, which was kind of a kind of a, an interesting um, experience uh, compared to, you know, Civ, where founding a lot of cities might not necessarily be the best idea. Um early on you still have a safety um, net as well though like you're talking about kind of exploring to make sure you get the good outpost but actually the game still plunks you in a place where you're probably within a couple of turns going to find basic important stuff and like strategic resources uh horses for instance and bronze so that your first your ancient era you're going to have a nice little advantage you're going to be able to start building slightly better units really quickly like the moment you have the tech you're ready to go. Uh, but you do want to 
spend a little bit of time exploring and finding other maybe luxury resources so you can get a little bit of income at the beginning but yeah it is hard to find that perfect balance of like when do you actually go for that final star or if you've already got it when do you become a full civilization and it's also i found when the first time that i turned the difficulty um up i think two notches to i think it was empire immediately fighting like i was right next to another pre-civ and it immediately started going for my outposts and being really leery and it actually just made i was like shit i need to rush this i'm gonna i'm gonna get prepared so i can actually start churning out as many warriors as i can in the ancient era because i'm gonna have someone who wants to fight me quite a lot and i was right they were my nemesis for a little bit for those first i don't know like 50 turns it was quite tense between us yeah that's another interesting thing about the start is that like when i when i went up even further to the the civilization level of difficulty which they do say in in the difficulty menu they're allowed to use the word bear um there were <laughs> neighbors who were next to me who were trying to take an outpost of a place where i was like no that's the place where i want my city to expand and so I just had a slightly larger tribe and just kept bullying them off that particular piece of land until I was able to manage to hold it. And like after trying several times to get a game on the civilization difficulty going, that was the one that was actually successful was the one where I just got really, really pushy and started saying, no, I need to make sure that I get this land by any means necessary. So like, even after playing multiple campaigns, there is still something in the Neolithic that was, it, you know, Sid Meier-style interesting decisions. And isn't it great yeah. that we're still, like, this early <laughs> in the game that we are thinking about our big plans or long-term plans because you don't really have that luxury in Civ. Like, you have an idea based on the Civ that you've picked what you're going to try and do. But you don't really know what's going on around you. You don't know what you started with. But here we have like 15 turns to plan out our uh, conquest of the world. And you, you really do get to start thinking about the big picture stuff so early on. Uh, it's it's a lot more exciting than any any other 4X start, really. I think this is uh, this is the best one. <laughs> All and right. It, Great show, everybody. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, it's yeah, it's 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 There's, really it's a really well done uh, opening. I think I think the like like a lot of other four X games. I think for me the the intro exploration phase was kind of sometimes kind of the, the best part of it. And then there's a second wave of that when you get you know better ships with like the Age of Discovery and stuff. Where I was like, yeah, I'm finding outposts again. I'm finding new lands. It's so cool. That's that's usually my favorite part of a four X game. Well, um, that's often your favorite part because that's the part that's most playtested. Yeah, probably. Uh, um, what Sora Johnson told me about when I was interviewing him and discussing how the early game of Sim was always the best part. But then he went and made a game that was all about the first third of Sim. So, you know, there you go. Maybe yeah. there is there is more to it than that. But well, uh, we've discussed one of the other major differences obliquely here, but uh, I think that it's it's so, kind of so obvious that it it goes under the radar a little bit, but it's mm -hmm. that the game uses 
province systems where you can build one city in each province and the provinces are right. set at the start of the game. This is like Endless Legend, which uh, Amplitude was Amplitude's previous map-based 4X game. Uh, there's also a bit of that in Old World. It doesn't do it by, by province, but there are like only a few places that you can build cities in, which is functionally the same thing in that game mm -hmm. in many ways. And um, what that tends to do is it uh, it effectively puts like a speed limit, uh, both both like a speed limit and a speed minimum on the game. Like the, there are certain amounts of expansion that you can do. And there are certain amounts of expansion that you have to do. And it makes it so that uh, it feels like the game is a little more controlled and not instantly, again, like like a sieve or many other 4Xs are, where if you don't manage to get that initial perfect spot, then you might be fucked. Or if, um, or if you manage to race to the other spots that your rivals are going for, that race is a little more specific and they usually have like um, I don't know a different way that they can squeeze out in a different direction, um, unless your map is super duper small. But uh, it 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 functions as a good way to maintain control over the campaign from a game developer's perspective. It ends up helping humankind a lot. Yeah, I'm also curious. So we we there's still some other differences that we will talk about. Um, but I, uh, I I was curious when you said, Rowan, that it's more like Civ than the last two Civ games have been. Um, <laughs> what is it about it that makes it feel that way to you? I mean, that was kind of being facetious, but as, okay. as longtime <laughs> listeners of 3MA know, Civilization has gone in a very specific in-game related direction, in my opinion, and stopped having the sort of like mid-game um dynamism within its historical simulation uh that has made me much less interested in it and i feel like humankind has a lot of uh dynamism that makes it you know like if if civ 4 had decided to go or if the sequel to civ 4 had decided to go in a completely different direction you might end up with something looking like humankind that doesn't mean that civ 5 and civ 6 were actually not civilizations they they took aspects of that series and enhanced them uh but humankind i feel like takes the uh, kind of strategic um strategic changes across a map idea a lot more than those two games did that I find a more interesting way to uh, to do that kind of thing. Although there are definitely interesting things about Civ 5 and 6. Right. Well, and it also doesn't make you be like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to pick the Chinese and I'm going to go for a science victory. Uh, they have this system where you, you basically pick a new culture every era. So you're going to play as six different cultures throughout the course of the game. And uh, each one can specialize in different things and you're not really shooting yourself in the foot by being like, well, I'm going to go militarist this era and then, you know, science the next era and culture the era after that, because basically everything you do adds up to this unified score that determines who wins at the end, um, which I really liked because if I was in a position where 
it makes sense for me to start conquering people because there's some tasty, you know, lands on my borders. Um, I can do that. I could pick like the Mongols and then, OK, now I'm up against a, a country who's a little bit stronger. I'm not sure it would be really worth the investment. I'm just going to bunker down and, and go like agriculture and just grow my population. So I'll be a lot stronger than them uh, the next time we do meet, uh, which I really liked. And um, and you could also pivot based on the map. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Like uh, the Harappans, which are seem to be one of the AI's favorite cultures to pick yep. uh-huh. at the start of the um at, as they're starting ancient culture. Uh, I've never p- played as the Harappans because the first AI to get to the uh, ancient era always picks them. So uh, it's always the Mycenaeans <laughs> for me. But uh, oh yeah, yeah. The, the, the they're Harap- usually gone too. They're usually taken like two, two or three. Yeah, yeah the, the Harappans are usually next. But well, like they yeah. have cities that build districts that become rivers. Rivers over the course of the game, you get uh, techs and then infrastructure that makes them uh, buff up your your food and production a whole hell of a lot so like even if on the map you don't have rivers if you pick the harappans you could build your own rivers and it just creates this way of dealing with the map that i think is kind of i don't know it's the aspect of the game that as i play further and after i've after I have, you know, settled on how I want to play this game, like in terms of difficulty and map size and so on, um, that like picking those cultures and seeing what directions you can go in with them based on being able to read the map and say, oh, this is going to be a really interesting place to go with Axum or something like that is uh, increasingly uh, something I find attractive about humankind. I approached building my uh, hybrid culture um, a lot like I approached building my characters in Path of Exile because really the, you're you're making builds and weird kind mm. of you're doing theory crafting. You're probably should have a spreadsheet on the go. Uh, there's a lot of numbers to crunch. <laughs> um, I really loved it um, as a kind of way to evolve the the progression system that we're so familiar with because you are literally changing Civ every, I don't know, like 50 turns or something like that. It's it's a bizarre thing at first because you expect the, the faction or race or, or Civ that you pick to be with you for the, the full game and for you to become very well acquainted with it and to become attached to it. But here it's all very fleeting and instead it's all about how you can accentuate this build that you've already got going what bonuses you can add on top of the ones you already have to not just like make an ultimate science sieve or ultimate militant sieve but all kinds of weird experiments like it's it's a very dry game but in this sense it's actually very playful because there are so many weird combinations and when you add in all the other ways that you can uh, adapt and, and develop your culture through religion and through civics you just have an astronomical number of choices and i think more than anything else that's what's going to keep me coming back is experimenting with these things trying to break the game or find ways to play the game that (laughs) hadn't been intended and just kind of see what's out there in terms of culture builds because they're 
there's too many to really go through or even get a feel for in the time it takes to do a review. Uh, There's so much more I want to see. And definitely that's where I loved the game the most. And outside of those interesting decisions and, and building up this sieve to create this kind of titan that will destroy everything with some overpowered bonuses, I was kind of bored. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's weird. It's interesting because I think, like, especially Rowan and I had very different experiences with this. I played mostly on Empire. I didn't bump it up to Civilization, which I, I think is the second highest. I think there's like one more above that that's like humankind or something. Uh, let's let's take a step back first. This game doesn't start with those even as the options. Right. right. So which is in yeah. the in the default game that you're given, you're given like this giant map with four empires on it total that are on multiple continents. So I didn't even see two of them until the right. late game. And you're it, it's also very much, we don't we don't want to give you access to all the options on your first game. It's is, not even is, it, yeah. no, it's the opposite yeah. of that. It's we want you yeah. to see all the options and you never have any reason to care about picking them because it also gives you three difficulty levels. It basically says you should pick the middle unless you think you're a super genius or you think that you're <laughs> this is your first strategy game ever. Um and that middle difficulty is like three notches below the one that I ended up playing. Um, and it's just like you're sleepwalking through it. And those, all those options that Fraser is talking about, the things that create the, the, the choices that you can make to create some ultimate civilization that crushes everything before you, like that becomes decision fatigue. You have a city that builds a building and then you're like, okay, what now? And if there are no other civilizations near you or no rival empires near you, if there is nothing saying that you are behind or no pressure on you to do anything, which is the case in that initial game and in most of the games that I played until I managed to try to find a balance of difficulty and map size, like, then this is just a game with a shit ton of options for trying to make yourself perfect. And that's kind of boring. Yeah, I think that it's town, I think, is the difficulty they recommend you start on. And like anybody listening to this show, just don't even don't even look at that. one. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think I was I was like two and a half eras ahead of everyone else on the map, having like only played the preview. Like this was like my first actual full game of humankind. And by the time the end game date hit, my score was like double that of the person in second place. Uh, so yeah, you definitely should not play on town. Um, yeah, but it's also not just the difficulty mode. It's that you have to go and figure out like what kind of map is good. Do you want to play yeah. on a Pangaea? Do you want to play on, uh, you know, a map with a ton of islands? Do you want to play on a slow speed or a fast speed? Or do you want to play with every other civilization as a rival for you? Like these are all the things that this is, this is the review that I did over at Fanbyte was basically talking about how like this and civilization and Stellaris to some extent, although that one is fairly easy to figure out that some options you should just ramp up or all the way up or down and go with it. Um, mm-hmm. But like a lot of these 4X games are not about 
playing the game until you figured out how to play the options menu. And that's really frustrating. Um, I think humankind, I eventually have figured out how to play the options menu and I'm having a really good time and I am going to go back to it, which is extremely important. Um, Civilization six, I don't think I've ever failed a difficulty that works for me in part because if they just double up rival civ settlers at a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm a, yeah, I might need to go try and play it on, uh, on, on the civilization difficulty. Cause I think that's the one you eventually settled on. And I was playing one notch below that. And my issue is just that I never felt really much diplomatic pressure at all. Yeah. And it's, um, it's pressure that starts making this game interesting. It's right. like, so when Fraser's talking about developing his ultimate sieve, that's that's an interesting way to go. But another one is that like I'm sitting here playing in the ancient era as the Harappans on the first game where I actually felt like I was, you know, connecting with the in the first campaign where I felt like I was connecting with the map and the game. Uh, and I had an enemy that was right next to me, like making a bunch of noises, starting to make demands on me. I was getting demands on them. The friction on the borders was increasing. And I was like, okay, there's clearly going to be a war. They're starting to get in my way. I want some of those resources. And so I was like, all right, it's time to switch to the Romans, bitches. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a strong play in the classical era. It's like, you just throw the Roman card on the table. Yeah, and then, uh, and then yeah. you know, as that campaign progressed... And I got off the Romans. I was like, okay, I've been at war. Now I need to develop my industry. I just have like virtually no industry. So in the medieval era, I switched to one of the medieval civs. I don't remember exactly which one. Um, but then it's like, okay, now I'm behind on money. Got to do that. And, you know, just sort of like consistently shifting around to fill in the gaps as my enemies were kind of closing in on the door. Uh, you know, going back to militaristic as soon as I was starting to have like borderline giant world wars or, you know, going up against my chief rivals. And this was all my cities were also pivoting to like, OK, now I have to start churning out money. OK, now I have to start churning out science. Uh, and this is when the game started really clicking for me. Hmm. Fraser, how did you feel about like the, the diplomacy and, and the game's ability to put pressure on you? Uh, I thought that the diplomatic systems that they created were pretty yeah. decent. Um, yeah. I just didn't feel like I was encouraged to interact with it that much. Certainly not more than I would in Civ. It didn't feel like I was playing against more dynamic AI. They have personality traits, as do uh, Civ. Uh, Civs mm -hmm. now. Uh, yeah. And I wouldn't have really known if I hadn't seen them displayed on the, the diplomacy screen. I'm not saying they weren't acting like their character traits uh, or personality traits. I just didn't really notice it. Even on the higher difficulties where I was bumping up against them sooner because I'd, I'd, I like playing on a, on a smaller map because you just get into fights more often. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, I was having more interactions with them, but I didn't find the interactions that interesting. And then when it actually came to the war, uh, the things that Rowan describes, yeah, they're all 
brilliant benefits of of war you get this increased tension which forces you to make big choices about what cultures you pick uh what civics you pick even your religion when you can use your religion it kind of as a, as a weapon basically mm-hmm. even the religion as a system sucks in humankind you can yeah. do it to generate like grievances and really get a lot of animosity going between you and the other religions building up to war because before you could actually kick off a war in humankind you have to drum up support or that war is not going to last for a very long time and you do that by getting pissed off with the things that your neighbors are doing maybe they've seduced some of your pops over to their city yeah maybe they've got a different religion maybe they're allied to one of your enemies and all of these things can be used to both um sort of exploit your enemy and actually try and get some quick cash out of them because be like oh shit i'm sorry i allied with your enemy you have 200 gold um yeah. or you can use it as an excuse for for war and it generates war support which means you can go for longer because you really lose wars by running out of support which i like uh you could also lose wars by getting the shit kicked out of you but but there's a little bit yeah. more to it than that uh, and I, I like that system, but I just didn't feel like I was really taking it or needing to take advantage of grievances all that much. And the wars were coming quite freely by the time I cranked it up to Empire anyway. Uh, it's just that when you actually get to the war, all of the stuff it forces you to do, the, the, the way it can decimate industry and fuck up your economy massively so you have to backpedal and change your strategy, that's great. But then actually fighting, oh, God, no. It's not just that the actual combat isn't very good. It's also just that I, I think I'm just bored of these kind of big Civ-style yeah. wars. I want something a little bit... I don't mind having that, but I want war to be more. I want there to be a bit more nuance. And it's actually just very <laughs> perfunctory. I want, I, want a, I, want, I want a war that's subtle. I want a war uh, yeah. that's graceful. All of this killing... War. They have been talking up they have been talking up this combat system for for months. And really what it is is it's it's like a civ style combat system where you can have multiple combat turns happen on the same world turn, which is fine. Like it's I like that that kind of like speeds it up so wars don't last for like hundreds of in-game years or something like that. But the actual like moving units and like the actual fighting is like it's not it's not like any different from like Civ five or six it's just it's the exact same thing and so like, uh, like i don't legend. this is i don't think it, this is true at all it, i think it's really? more like no, i think than Civ. yeah it, that's true. it is the but, ele- like the but, elevation is a thing the no, elevation that, is definitely a thing the key uh, yeah the key things that are going on here is that elevation and geography are changing the way that uh you're interacting with this like civilization yeah, it makes it 10 civilization times more five, it makes it <laughs> it make it can make it fiddly and that's why pro, pro god, tip and that tip, I, turned, t- and that's clips. why god invented the instant resolution button yeah um yeah. but turn cliffs to minimum in your world generation settings you'll, i disagree i think cliffs are great i hate cliffs you can turn elevation all the way up I don't care, like, how many elevation levels you I have. Can, can, can I finish fi- my point here? Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> we can talk about the cliffs later. <laughs> go, go for it. What, what I have found is that 
when the battles are like involving relatively fair large forces going against one another there are actual strategic decisions to be made as opposed to find the weak unit and take it out that's usually what civ combat is is going for and um like i had this one battle where i was trying to take out an enemy city parsa or persepolis for uh those who prefer the greek um and it was on my western border and there was this giant mountain range on the western border uh like that it was it was right up against so i had to come at it from the north and the south so i came at it with two armies from the north and two armies from the south and the enemies had like one army in the city the city the city's garrison and another army or two reinforcing from the north and what ended up happening is that like on the plains across the north, I was fighting this battle like in the field, just trying to do as much damage as possible while I was trying to grind out this siege in the south. And this is the thing that the system was starting to make possible. The question is whether this system can actually make that possible on a consistent basis, which I think goes back to uh, you know, if you can figure out a game where everyone is roughly at the same level and you act, are actually competing against rivals in a fair situation, or if Fraser said it ends up being perfunctory, if you're just walking a giant army into a city that doesn't put up any resistance, and if you actually do the combat, all it is is the same, all it is is like a battle that you know that you're going to win, that you have to just kind of fiddle with to make sure you win it in the most efficient way possible. That's not terribly interesting. I think you I can sum it up a little bit quicker. <laughs> Units crap, sieges crap, terrain crap. It's all just—I just hate it. it this is really... this is this is not what I am saying. That is not a summary <laughs> of my point. Okay, okay. here's here's what I really my... like about here's what I really like about this combat system. Uh, you can call in artillery strikes outside of battle. That's pretty cool. I yeah, like, something I like that, that you don't get to use for like 99% yeah, of the game. Yeah, it doesn't come in until super yeah. late, but it's really cool when it does. You might um, have already won the game by the time yeah, you get to you do that. You probably have already won the game. One thing that, and one of the, a lot of the comments in my reviews, they did not like what I said about, <laughs> about the combat because I was this dismissive. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the things that trips some people up is they think that um, if a game has terrain, it's good. And it's like having more interesting tactical terrain can be very good. Like mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons when we talk about Total War, we always like the Total Wars that have more elaborate terrain in the battles because, and, and when that's promised to us, a la Troy, and it doesn't quite live up to it because you hardly ever see it, it's quite disappointing. Mm -hmm. But just putting in more terrain and more elaborate terrain and cliffs and more elevation does not immediately make the battles more interesting. It can just make them more fiddly. And the way that humankind creates this tactical map within the campaign map that limits your movements just makes the terrain an enemy. It could be an ally because you can get some elevation, sure, but you're going to spend twice as much time stressing out because you realize, oh, I can't just get around this tiny little hill because the map's cut off there. And I, it shows you before you go in where the cutoffs are, but it's really hard to tell how that's going to fuck up your actual fight. It's Fra I, Fraser. I'm, yeah. Are you actually fighting fair battles? 
I'm fighting all sorts of battles. I'm fighting battles that because the game tells that like says I might lose if I auto resolve, no. then I'll play it. But then I also have ones where I've got like a whole like plane full of troops just like waiting to charge into a city below like below it. I've got yeah a lot of different battles and it's always the same result is that it's either just quite boring and you're just moving troops forward picking off the weak ones or it's fighting with annoying windy valleys and cliffs and so maps you're, you're, that aren't big enough the, the reason i am asking this question is because i feel like the battles become increasingly fiddly when they're not fair and that's the only thing that i see in it is just all right what's what's the maximum way that i can get out of this with a minimum of effort but when i'm actually fighting the fair battle and i can use the terrain in a way that you know creates an interesting choice that's when it actually seems to work i just think the game doesn't get you into those battles enough i like the more balanced <sighs> battles Definitely. But at the yeah. same time, while I'm playing them, I'm like, you know what? I should have auto-resolved this because it's, it's just I'm not getting anything out of them. And see, with Endless Legend is basically like a much simpler version of this. It doesn't have the weird siege stuff and it the terrain on Endless Legend is a lot clearer and a lot simpler. And I actually quite liked it there it wasn't a great combat system i don't really think i've seen a 4x with a great combat system when yeah. it comes down to it well, i've seen ones that i could stomach more and can have some fun with but in humankind it was you know i would have probably ought to resolved more if i wasn't reviewing the game and thus put myself through it so i could have a proper good old moan about it in a review and upset a bunch of people <laughs> who pre-ordered it <laughs> it's it's fine like it's good it's fine like it like the combat system to me is emblematic of my opinion on the entire game overall which is basically like it's good it's fine it's not world changing it's not majorly going to disrupt the 4x genre it's it's good it's fine Wait. contrast that to the diplomacy system which we talked about briefly but i i didn't get a chance to say that is my favorite part of this whole thing I think that the, the war support ticking up over time and being bilateral where each sides have a separate amount is like the replacement to the cast a spelly system where you either have consent or you don't. Like, I think that's brilliant. But the combat system is like, yeah, it's it's fine. It's, what it's what fine. do you think about the uh, so militants <laughs> get a like 50 <laughs> bonus to war support straight away. That's so too much. Yeah, because it basically yeah. means they're always just I mean, I, I get also, it. They're militant, but. That's just so powerful. I also well, I also hate Estite because what Estite does is it nullifies any um, diplomatic penalty you get for having different ideologies. And it's like, even if you have 10 empires, the chances that one of you is going to be Estite in any given era is fairly high. And then like that is just not a source of diplomatic tension. Like I could be, uh, you know luxury gay space communism and you could be the most autocratic person in the world and we'd get along just fine as long as one of us is an esteet humankind um, just really loves its big numbers and i actually like <laughs> largely like approve because the last thing i want to do when i've leveled up a culture is find out that my bonus is a 05 percent to influence generation well, or some and bullshit and it that's doesn't part of yeah it doesn't do that it's always big game-changing numbers uh i think that that's the best way to do it because it means every time you level up, you tear up, you're getting some dramatic change that you will feel as you play moment to moment. But yeah, the, the issue with that 
is that it's so easy for for cultures to become overpowered because the numbers are so massive and it's not like everyone's gonna be overpowered to balance it out because some I, of the ways you combine those numbers are not as viable i i actually have found that there are some checks and balances on that if you manage to get to a point where it's not that you're overpowered on everything um the big thing is that building military units takes population yes which, which is very good because of that you can't just spam the largest army in existence you act you have to pay attention to like slowly building that army making sure you have food support uh not just building up industry constantly uh this which tends to put the brakes on just becoming the the giant superpower like i i managed to get a game where i was pretty this is on you know the civilization difficulty level uh this is the game that i play currently um I was playing as, as Axum in the medieval era, or maybe that's a classical era. Um, yeah, I think it's classical, uh, which gives you a massive bonus to money when you, um, depending on how much, how much population across the world you have converted to your religion. So I was building these districts in the classical era that gave me 30 plus gold every turn which is just an absolutely huge amount. The regular market district in that point is like five to 10. Um, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to absolutely dominate here. But instead, all that was able to really do was make me able to buy a few buildings a little faster to get my, my slower cities more up to speed. I could make an army fairly quickly that way, but that army was t dragging down population so much that like my science and other food things were, were suffering. So it ended up being that like, yeah, I was really good at this one thing, but that one thing was not masking my need to, develop the other aspects of my civilization like i think i think there is a good balance there unless you're just way better than everybody at everything which is too easy to get that's my problem i think that's the issue i'm just too yeah. good i'm too good but no my my trick was just to well firstly the having a lot of money really helps especially if you uh i think it's it, I think it is. It's a culture thing, or maybe it's a civic. Uh, but the one that uh, means that instead of using uh, influence to do certain things, you're using gold, uh, and then building up my economy. So I'm just massive amounts of gold that I'm spending on things that I would normally be spending influence on, not really having to worry about influence anymore. In fact, for like that in that game in particular, I think I just stopped thinking about influence at all, aside from when I needed to claim a wonder, uh, which I believe still had a, an influence cost. And then I had cities that were basically just pop farms. The only reason they existed was to have people in it that I could then convert into soldiers and then send to die for me. So I just, so in that way, my economy and my war economy really were like one. It was all this one big factory generating this huge amount of troops and I could sustain the large numbers, but this was a build that was focused on doing that. Like I'd made choices because I knew that actually building large armies can be tricky unless you have the the pops for it. So I kind of planned that. That's why I actually, even though we talk about don't use the, the default difficulty because it's shit, and it is shit, it's a bad game, no one will even declare war on you. 
but I certainly think that going for an easier game the first time is quite handy because it gives you just so many ideas for the next one. You just get to the end without too much fuss and then you just know how the game works. And then when it comes to the trickier difficulties, you've already got some tricks of your own. I, yeah, I didn't I didn't end up feeling that way. That's, I think, just a difference in how I was learning. I was just clicking things almost randomly. I was like, oh, yeah, this I, I like these guys from what I learned about them in in uh, my history book. I'll, I'll pick them. Sure. Whatever. All right. I'm building another thing that makes science go up. That sounds good. Um, but yeah, like if, if you if you're like really pouring over it. But for me, it's like, uh, you know, you know how people always say in Crusader Kings two or three now that you should play in Ireland to learn the systems. And I always say, fuck that. That's a terrible idea because you learn the systems by actually being forced to engage with them by <laughs> external pressures of some kind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's how I feel about humankind is that. Yeah, yeah you definitely shouldn't do the default difficulty of humankind. I yeah. want to make that very clear. Well, it won't be fun, but you don't necessarily want to jump up to civilization level straight away civilization level i'm still i'm still wrestling with empire was empire was getting too easy once i started learning how these things worked and being able to 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 make the synergies um i do feel like there are some like synergy based games where the goal is to just create like the biggest baddest version of one particular stat and everything in the game is about figuring out like which one of those stats you're going for in that game um slip waves was kind of like that in some ways uh which we which they discussed i didn't make it to that show but like yeah um and i feel like there's some of that in humankind but it's it feels a lot more um flexible in terms of when and how you're making those decisions. And it's it's not like you have to go in and say, all right, if I, you know, if I don't get the Romans in that second era, I'm just totally fucked. It's, you know, all right, then I now I can pivot to trying to focus on some other thing. Um, you're yeah. making you're making all kinds of numbers get bigger. And some of the time you can focus on one or two of them. But most of the time I think you're just going to be focusing fairly generally on them. And uh, that's, in my opinion, a strength. Some people really, really love min-maxing those one specific things. Uh, but uh, in in my mind, I prefer the sorts of games where you're trying to work on everything. I think, and here's the thing about, obviously, I, I, I mentioned my experiences that, like, the, the AI felt very hesitant to attack me. Um, and I... I kind of want to this. I didn't really actually get around to this in my review because I kind of just had an epiphany about this. But I think that I don't mind that as much, except that. Um, let me think about how to phrase this. What's the what's the actual the core of the point that I'm getting to is that I was doing a lot of stuff in the back rooms to make sure that that didn't happen. I was constantly going to people with treaties. I was constantly trying to trade with as many people as possible. I was constantly dumping influence and money into independent peoples so that they would not attack me. Um, and, you know, I ended up with alliances with, I think, like six out of the 
other, you know, nine sieves on the continent uh, by the time I got to like the early modern era or something like that. And if if the intended game design is that you're supposed to be able to do that, I don't actually hate that as an idea. Um, the problem was it, it didn't continue to put pressure on me. I didn't feel like I had to continue to upkeep those relationships. And I didn't feel like that there was enough that could come in to disrupt them later. Like if you're playing Old World or Crusader Kings, you could have the strongest alliance that's been going on for generations. And then someone's dickhead nephew becomes the ruler. And suddenly he's like, no, I hate you. Uh, you know, I'm going to declare war on you. Um, the fact that you still do kind of have these immortal leaders that have these unchanging personality pillars uh, throughout the game in humankind. And like, I don't know if they change their aggressiveness based on what culture they switch to. I don't know if that's something either of you saw where like if someone picks the Mongols, suddenly they want to declare war or something like that. I find them quite um, consistent, and, but they weren't yeah. that memorable either. <laughs> so that's that's I think is the problem is that. I don't actually mind if you let me use diplomacy and engage with the diplomacy system as in-depth as humankind does, which I appreciate, um, to avoid having to go to war. But if that's preventing me from like having to have an army, upkeeping those relationships needs to be a pressure in and of itself that replaces the pressure that I would have had on me from having to upkeep a giant army to keep myself safe. I think that's actually what bugged me the most about that whole thing. I mean, I think you hit um, the nail on yeah, the head a, when you said it needs a yeah. dickhead nephew. Because, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I think that is especially something I uh, I agree with because of Old World and how much yeah. having the human element and yeah, the uh -huh. unexpected stuff that that generates that made Old World feel like this is a new way of playing a Civ style game. This is has elements of Civ that are very familiar, but this yeah. is not anything like playing Sid Meier's Civilization. With Humankind, this could be Civ 7, to be honest. It has elements that are, yes, uniquely amplitude. It's got a sort of a UI and aesthetic um, and a fascination with weird faction design that to me speak like it, that's all amplitude but it still feels too civvy for me and it's i love the human element the old world added to it and i think that we've been spoiled with lately because we've had games like ck and we've had games like endless space and endless legend where personality and uh people and characters and stories are poured into these strategy games and i've I've gotten a bit of a sweet tooth now. I've been treated to all of these yeah. extra little morsels. And now playing something like Humankind, which has no real characters uh, and no real narrative component. Even the, there are events and they're just, I couldn't tell you one of them I, or any of the decisions I made in those events. They were just really generic. Did you quarantine the population when you had a, a pandemic breakout? Fraser? I think I did. Actually, I think I yep. did. Yeah, I, I actually do yep. remember that one. And I, the only that reason one that stands one stands out, out for some because, reason. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> but I don't think that's because it was inventive or well written. I think it's because we're in the middle of a plague. Well, it, <laughs> well, it's so, like some of them are, are are ridiculous, like the climate change event. 
You can pay 400 gold to make it go away forever. Oh, now she's on climate change again. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Uh, some people were really butthurt in the comments that I talked about climate change and how we're all going to die. I'm sorry, that's, you know, it's an inconvenient truth, if you will. Um, but, uh, yeah, you can pay 400 gold to make it go away forever, or you can get minus 30 to all resource production in all cities for 10 turns. <laughs> that's uh, That's the extent that climate change has any effect on uh the late game in uh in humankind yeah i mean um, i think a lot of this ahead, game Lord. just needs to be balanced like we we no, haven't even god no that's the worst thing no <laughs> no that's the opposite yeah. of what it needs it needs to be even less balanced <laughs> i mean i i mean balance to be interesting i don't need balance yeah. to be equal i made mean that like yeah. So we're we're talking about, you know, the the opposing civilizations and what they're doing and not doing. And I've noticed that they come and bug me a lot when they're more powerful than me. But when I'm more powerful than me, they go and hide in their rooms. Well, then, you know, (laughs) the issue becomes how can we have a situation where they actually feel like I'm a rival that's worth interacting with? It's probably by making the game end up this one's like an overall difficulty miss but like some of these some of these aspects of this game just need to be tweaked in order to feel like they're more relevant like things like the ideology system which has kind of a a, a stellaris like system of going down different ideologies to become more individualist or whatever um like that supposedly has a diplomatic penalty, but it doesn't seem to effectively make those things hate me. It's insignificant. It, yeah. yeah, I had a really good laugh at someone in the comments of my <laughs> review being like, here's all the important things Fraser missed. <laughs> and one of them was about ideologies and they might mate. There's a reason I missed it. Firstly, the yeah. reviews are a 2,000 words long, rated in me. Right. But also uh-huh. because it's so insignificant. You see it there and you're like, oh, if you make this decision, you're going to be more traditionalist. I don't give a shit. I give a shit about yeah. the percentages because that's what the game's taught me. And if there is any, there's apparently penalties when you're trying to get a, a what do you call it, a minor civilization or whatever they call them. Uh, but I don't notice that because I've got so much bloody influence and cash, I can just give them what I want to make them like me. And I think yeah. there's such sm- a, such a small impact that you just, over the course of the game, you're never going to notice it. I think an ideology then- <laughs> system would be cool. It just doesn't really exist in humankind as it stands. I, I, yeah. It exists, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Like I mean, there's, does it exist? Moment... We're told it exists, but does it? <laughs> there, there's that moment in in like a Civ, in the more recent Civ games where like you get to like the, the 20th century and you have to pick basically democracy, communism, or fascism. And then that drives a lot of late game conflict. Humankind desperately needs something like that. Yeah. It desperately needs something that's going to kick off huge mega wars in the late game. My impression of the game overall would have changed so much if they had something like that to just like, all right, it's, you know, yeah. we've got tanks and nukes now and everybody's at each other's throats. Like that is exactly what I wanted in the late game. Yeah, This game just feels like it needed a few more months. We can talk about the bugs a bit in a moment, but Fraser mentioned that uh, the the religion system, which he said is, is crap, which it sort of is, <laughs> but also it's, awesome it just is completely unfinished like it works really well as an early and mid game tension generator if you have a faith 
that's like changing your rival cities, you immediately have grievances that you can turn into casus bellies on them. And yeah, it's, it's okay. It's and great for and that. If you, and if, if, you just, don't, if, if, just, if you don't build up your religion, you're giving them excuses to conquer you. Yes, so. and it just it just yeah. never changes from that. It never switches from Babylonian polytheism into fucking Christianity. <laughs> well, you, it you can uh, you can eventually adopt uh, secularism or state atheism, but they skip the entire organized religion phase in the middle. Yes, there's um. just not there is just not a point where yeah. it becomes an actual institution beyond something that your family tells people to do around you uh and it, it literally feels like there was a religion system a full religion I system in this game was. and did it got taken out because something was probably broken no did either of you play any of the like pre like preview the press previews or like the open dev because i feel like Maybe I'm going crazy. Maybe somebody who's listening can like post this on the forums or on Discord or something. But wasn't there a point at which in the religion system, eventually you would get to a point where you could keep adding more tenets to polytheism or you could choose to become an organized religion? Because I, I like have this like Mandela effect memory of that being a thing. And maybe it was and they took it out, or maybe I'm just making it up. It's yeah. so um, weird how it just ends. You pick yeah. your last tenant and you're like, oh, cool. Yeah. Another tenant. Excellent. Uh, and then it's Reli- like, religion no, is now asshole. complete. <laughs> we <laughs> we did it. One religion. We figured out metaphysics. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do with your godlike <laughs> well, powers of being able to accumulate yeah. a little bit more gold? Yeah, uh, it's. Yeah. it's uh, I, I think yeah. what it brings to the table is not good enough to justify how boring and underdeveloped it is i think it does good things the grievance system cool being able to like add elements new elements to your empire new bonuses cool but that's it it stops there it barely had any impact on my game it literally stops there yeah it literally (laughs) stops there i like i I was almost as disappointed as I was with the the research tree, which is straight up just a Civ re- research tree. It is. Tree. It's, le- it's, it's so it's bad. Worse than, it's worse than Civ 6, because Civ 6 at least broke it into technology and society. Yeah. This is like a step back for me. You don't have any uh, decisions to make. You do, I mean, the, yeah. the most you have is like choosing between one or two um, texts and which one you're going to take first. Well, That's it, because you take them all. You might as well. Uh, especially since building up a a strong science culture is really easy. So you're doing it in two turns, you're researching every bloody tech. Yeah. When we've seen other games do interesting things with this, because it seems fairly clear that the generic research tree is kind of fucking boring. It's so because yeah. we have never seen... done one. Why are they doing this now? And I think it's because yeah, they're trying so to make we... Civ, and that's a really boring ambition. But like yeah. with Endless Legend, which is, you know, Fantasy Civ or Master of Magic or whatever, you had eight things or you had like 12 things to choose from and eight of them started getting you to the next era, which started creating these penalties for researching later that was made some interesting choices. Like at a certain point in the game, you yeah. would realize like I need more stability. I got to go back and waste my time on these stability texts that I skipped over the first time. Whoopsie. Um, I mean... <laughs> And like, I think, and then there's like Old yeah. World and Stellaris, which use the card system where you draw a few cards each time. And it's like, okay, which one can I take here? Uh, and just like 
anything, literally anything to make this not, okay, I'm just picking the one that takes the least amount of time to research or gives me the military unit that I need to win the war I'm in. Otherwise, just whatever. It's all well, coming like to be anyway. Every problem I have with humankind yeah. has been solved by Amplitude in their other games. It's so <laughs> bizarre. It's, I, I, I genuinely I feel like I'm being trolled by Amplitude. I, because I laughed when I read the first line of your review because we both had in the opening paragraph, man, I wish they had taken more from previous Amplitude games. <laughs> <laughs> it's that like... Go ahead. It's, that's my biggest issue, yeah. really. It's just it's not endless legend enough. Because uh, it's just... Yeah. They made Alpha Centauri, and then they're like, hey, why don't we make Civ? No, don't go back to the shittier game. Of course you don't. Make more Alpha Centauris and keep doing that. It's so much more interesting. It's Yeah, I, I just think of how good it could have been if they kept the interesting stuff, the new stuff they had introduced, and then just gave everything else the amplitude treatment, because it's amplitude. You would expect that. Yeah, it, it, it does feel like a bit of a joke. <laughs> they're like let's make something that doesn't yeah. feel like we make it that all the stuff that i love about the way they design four x's has just kind of been pushed off to the side and it's really strange and it i, I actually went back to an old um interview i think that we we did with them back when humankind was first announced and they're talking about how they they set up amplitude to make this game and they wanted to test themselves on other four x's before they approached the great civilization to defeat it. But along the way, they just defeated Civ anyway, accidentally, not even aiming for it, with a much, much better 4X with Endless Legend. They already did that. And I think they just got more interesting. But when it came to humankind, it's like the original amplitude. It was there, that vision has come back. And I just think they've developed so much over the years that they should have just picked a new ambition. Make something that yeah. shits all over yeah. Civ. Don't make something that just tries to fix a few things Civ doesn't do well. And I don't think actually succeeded because they've added new things to Civ. But if they, I don't feel they fixed that much about Civ. See, I, I feel like they did in the ways that I wanted it to. It just takes so much wrestling with it to get there. Like this is possibly not worth it to do, but like I... I want to keep playing this game. I want to get it so that I manage to get that balance of the difficulty and the map size and so on. And, you know, I get close or I might be on it in my current campaign. I'm continuing to play it after submitting my review two days ago, which is a huge thing and not something that happened with, you know, even Crusader Kings 3, but especially the the recent civilizations. Um and I feel like that's basically that there is that internal strategic dynamism along the map in in the mid game and not enough in the late game, or at least usually it's resolved in the late game if I get to the late game. But in the mid game, there is this kind of feel of push and pull and rise and fall that I very much wanted from this genre. And I, so I feel like they have succeeded in doing a lot of the stuff that they may have wanted or I may have wanted. They just also created a bunch of other problems and they have the core problem with civilization that I have, which is that I just have to wrestle with it in order to make it be a game that I actually want to play instead of them making, you know, a single map fucking game like Total War or Crusader Kings or EU4 or even Old World if you play it on the, you know, real world map that it has. Like, 
those things are more entertaining. They feel like they have been balanced for an entertaining time as the player, as opposed to, okay, I'm far too surrounded by Sims. Everybody's getting like half an outpost or, all right, there is literally nobody around me and I can just expand at my leisure. And then when I meet them five hours later, I'm going to discover that I have just totally completely outclassed them or they've totally and completely outclassed me. Like, I just am sick of having to figure out how to play this game right and just want to actually play it with the ideas that they have <laughs> that are pretty damn good, I think. Yeah. I just want yeah. to play Alpha Centauri. Well, that's that's the thing. Like, I kind of agree. I I, I agree with with Fraser's point in that I just like I want them to make it weirder. Like, I know that's hard to do with the way they've set it up. Where it's you're picking... not old world did it. Old world's kind of weird. Well, but I'm saying the way that they have set it up. I'm not sure that they could go back at this point no, because no. you're picking six cultures, and you know they stack on top of each other. But it just feels like everything is static modifiers. Mm-hmm. Ideology static modifiers. Uh, civics choices is a static modifier. Uh, unique districts are a static modifier. All the unique units are just like some kind of static modifier. Religions, you build up six different static modifiers. Like Len, big numbers. They love those yeah, big numbers. I know, I know they do. And it's, <laughs> but that's like, that's not what, like Endless Legend had so much more interesting faction design. Mm-hmm. I even think to like, I always call back to Venice in Civ Five, where it was literally... Their their unique bonuses made it a one city challenge. Like I like I love stuff like that. I love stuff that just like makes me play the game in a different way. Or like we talked about this on the Slipways episode. Set up a strict set of rules and then let people break those rules. Like I wanted more units that like unique units that let me break the rules. They weren't just better at a certain type of thing. Static modifiers are like the most boring way to differentiate a faction or a civilization in a game like this. I want weird shit. I want weird shit that lets me break the rules and makes my turn to turn gameplay significantly different than it would have been if I made other choices. And, you know, Endless Legend did that really well. Um, So I know Amplitude knows how to do it. I just feel like they've kind of painted themselves into a corner that they have to balance like a million different combinations of cultures now which will presumably only grow if they do expansions. Um, so they might not be able to, to pull yeah, that Yeah, where off. are the Scots? <laughs> In a better game. I mean, they, they have they have Celts. They have generic Celts. Yeah. Um, yeah. No but, golf courses uh, for me. It was very sad. I missed them. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, Amplitude's basically just made Civ 3. <laughs> <laughs> That's my oh, hot man. take, and I will I will not elaborate. <laughs> Human Humankind Two is going to be amazing. Um, yeah, no, I uh, I mean I think that there's really yeah. good aspects of it, and I kind of miss Civ Three and Civ Four. And uh, yeah. another aspect is that Civ Three and Civ Four were both made way 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 better by modding, and I think there is a capability True. to do that in here. There is a select a, a map button that was obviously not something that we could use with our review versions, but hopefully is a thing that has support where people can build maps somewhere somehow that, you know, are actually not just like square blobs in an ocean. Um, that's a thing that I think would help this game a whole hell of a fucking lot especially if there's some sort of resource randomizer. 
Uh, Do you know what would also help? Dragons. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They, yeah. Just give us the other thing is that like dragons. we keep talking about endless legend, but we're sort of skipping over the thing that made endless legend stand out so much, which is not that its systems all connected in a really interesting way. Every time we ever talked about endless legend, we were like, we don't know if these systems actually work. They just work well enough to channel you through this game. That's a fascinating <laughs> aesthetic experience yep. and has a really strong narrative. And yeah, you keep the, the talking about one, narrative. Yeah, we, we keep talking about that. So one thing that can be done for, to help humankind is have events that actually nah, like we've seen what the humankind events are and they're shite. That actually, <laughs> that actually have effects that are interesting and relevant. Like, for example, uh, Lynn's example of the um, making alliances with six of the other people on the uh on the continent or whatever. Um, like I always go back when I think about uh, great moments in my 4X or strategy game life, playing the original Master of Orion, having a situation where everyone was at peace, then someone like makes some faux pas at a dinner party, or maybe there was like an assassination attempt, but there's some random event that broke down one particular uh, relationship in that web. And that ended up triggering like World War One in space, basically just everyone just That would have been amazing. Yeah. yeah. That would have saved that campaign for me. Yeah, that kind um, of thing. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't even like a this these two things go to war. It was a this relationship has just taken a massive hit. But that was enough that the entire the entire network of I, I just completely forgot the the like poly science term for it but yeah the entire network of alliances just crumbled almost instantly and instead you had you know the central powers taking on the allies that happened to me yeah. in old world because alexander who was not the great in my game <laughs> uh just yep. just alexander alexander the slutty because uh he basically just slapped around so much and that was that basically spiraled into <laughs> a war he's just upset too many people because he was a dirty shagger <laughs> that like yeah that's perfect uh, one, yeah, one other the un, thing the unpredictability the unpredictability is definitely missing one other thing that we didn't mention specifically is that like because you're not playing a single empire with like a single leader head like Civ has where you play as Gandhi if you're the Indians or whatever um, you're playing as these character avatars and for you the player, you create yours, you make it look like you or make it look like someone cool or whatever. They have they have a certain personality. Their clothes change depending on the cultures. That's all super cool. But your rivals are just like a random set of dudes and ladies. And it's hard to give a shit about literally any of them. And it's mm -hmm. also really hard to describe yeah. them. Like when I think yeah. about when I think about my rivals in the game, I'm like, Okay, these are the these are the Babylonians because they started as the Babylonians. I met them as the Babylonians. Their civilization is still Babel is their capital is still Babylon. I'm just going to consider them the Babylonian English or the no, Babylonian but, whatever. Yeah. 
and it by, and by not, the end of the game i was just calling them like purple brown blue and green <laughs> yeah like and this this makes it difficult to construct yeah. a narrative and i think that yeah. that amplitude has these ideas of like you're going to upload your avatar you're going to unlock trophies that you can use to customize that avatar so that they'll behave certain ways in game and this is all very cool but right now at least and i don't know if those things will come to fruition but right now as a reviewer obviously we weren't able to download other people's avatars i don't even know where i'm supposed to go to go do that it's just here's some people and i'm gonna pick some slightly different ones each game just for a little bit of variety yeah they wanted um, to make me an avatar like a, fra- a real fraser avatar <laughs> but- that looked like me nah yeah, that, that would probably enhance the game for don't, me if I loaded in and I was like, ah, my fuck, soul, it's Rowan. Putting my soul in the game. That's how they get me. That's corruption. No, not for me. You won't be able to see me in any games. And then I thought, oh, maybe I can go and like create my own avatars, which I have um, been known to do in certain games, like my 150 oh, yeah. X-Men characters in XCOM 2. Uh, I was thinking, what if I did like all the justified big bads? And but no, yeah. you can't even do that. You have to go and no. get them from somewhere else. There's not like a pool of your own that you make. I just I don't. They're going for something really, really specific with something that is super important for feeling like you understand the personality of the game. And I don't. We as reviewers were not able to come across it, and it felt it almost feels like almost as bad as back when Mass Effect 3 came out and reviewers had to play the version of the game that was just like pure vanilla, no import of any of your character. Like, what the fuck are we... What what kind of personality do you expect (laughs) us to get out of this game if we're not even playing the game with something that we care about inside it? Yeah, I just... I made a guy with a beard and a top knot. <laughs> and I see that I see him. He's there. He's wearing a, a suit one day. He's wearing like a little, he's got a little Napoleon get up the next day, maybe wearing a robe another day. I just don't care. I don't feel a connection <laughs> to my cultures or the enemy cultures at all. Uh, there are people in the game, but there aren't really characters. They don't, they don't have yeah. any real personality. Some of their voice actors seem really familiar. I swear, speaking of Mass Effect, one of them is Liara. Um, well, the the voice acting is actually really good. I'll definitely give it that. Did you um, like the narrator? Yeah. Because so I I see a lot of people being like, like the, the narrator, narrator is the best much. bit, and I'm like, nah, no, nah. He needs to shut like, the hell up. So some of the AI leader personalities I actually really liked. Um, yeah, that. Yeah. The, I mean, the narrator is a good voice actor that's not the problem mm. the narrator oh, yeah. occasionally says things that are amusing oh it's just the script platitudes yeah. and, and every single oh, the, time you meet the like Celts a, well I hope they got their cooking from the French side of the family it's I'm bad like, dad uh, jokes yeah uh, yeah it, it's just like this this very this very dry genial wry humor from like a British uh, conservative that like <laughs> Oh, yes, I get it, uh, Uncle. You have studied history. You know how history yeah, works. Exactly. Thank you. And like some it's of them are like slash history memes in, in vocal form. Yeah. I, it it yeah. also reminds me of that article that Rob wrote about the Civilization Six tech things where the, all those quotes, they just sort of typed them in and kind of 
grabbed something that seemed mildly funny but didn't necessarily fit the tone of the game. It, it, yeah. It's not quite as bad as those were because a lot of those, they even got the quotes wrong or, and, you know, humankind isn't using, like, confirmed sex offender fascists. Um, <laughs> but it does, it does feel like they're trying to create a tone of this game that puts you in this kind of detached mode that I don't think fits the game very well, and I can't fucking turn it off when he says the same thing 20 times in a fucking row. Uh, it's like, oh, you've picked an expansionist culture. Your neighbors aren't going to have a very nice time. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, mate. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Um, when you pick the Greeks. Egyptians, he's like, no prizes for guessing how you're going to leave your mark. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. yes, we get it. You've heard uh-huh. of pyramids. I like uh-huh. the Egyptians. They're a really good first culture. Let they me, are. Let they're me really, be happy. They're a really good start. Yeah. I, I, I muted the whole game audio and just started watching some Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I think that's an option that needs to be in the game. You know what else needs to be an option in the fucking game? Borderless <laughs> window. This game is yeah. god awful for alt tabbing out of. It is. It yeah, is. I didn't have that issue at all. I had loads of other bugs, but not not that problem. Yeah, no, I had like anytime I tab back in, like the audio would start stuttering, and like the little wagons along my roads would start like flickering in and out of existence. And um, it also like yeah. I found that it was worse when I was tabbing into something with video or movement so <laughs> that's so weird so like i opened a steam page at one time to look at to look at a game and maybe show some people i think it was like a, a potential 3ma game and i pressed alt tab out of uh humankind onto that steam page which was like on the trailer that was you know playing a video instant crash and like a crash so bad that my computer was like all the all the uh windows got resized the, the entire desktop had to have reload all its icons. I had to reboot in order to get some sort of sound thing right. Like, it's just, this is a problem that existed 10 years ago and has been solved. And somehow it's not working. They just don't have a borderless window option. It's jealousy, isn't it? Doesn't want you looking at anything else. <laughs> Got to be focused on conquering the world. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Pay attention to humankind growing... Um, there, there are some tutorial things and some um, achievements or narrator moments that pop when they have no reason to pop. Like, yeah, uh huh. I, I don't know if like it, how much of this is actually going to be fixed in the day one patch, but like any time after I maxed out my progress on the ideology access, any time I took a progress option in an event. It was like reaching the end of an ideology axis. Hey, oh, that's, let's not call it fanatical. Let's call it being focused. I heard that at least 30 times in a single campaign. Yeah, it, um, and, and, it, <laughs> and it would like tell you me my war support was low in a war that I wasn't involved in. Uh, I yeah, mean, your war support like probably was low, though, in that like, war. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we weren't fighting them, so it didn't really matter. But yes, it was. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, so yeah. there's just like so much so much stuff in this game that could have used another three months. And I think that, yeah, yeah. I think that if they, if they had like pollution, Oh, Oh yeah. I want 
I wanted to ask about pollution. Did any of you see it do anything? I mean, I was cons- I'm consistently the highest polluter in my campaign. Because I did. And I've like, not seen the, any real impact at as all. The, as the Soviet, because it'll say, like, pollution is currently at level zero, and then it'll say how much pollution there is. And I was like, all right, I'm going to play a game where my entire goal is to create as much pollution as possible. And it never did anything. It never did yeah, anything. Yeah, it was like, so, there is pollution. Yeah. And, but then at the end of the game, it was like, <laughs> you've won the game as a green civilization. I'm like, wow, it's really easy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very apparent to me that the... It like nuked contem- a bunch of people. I guess that's a kind of green. <laughs> the, con- the contemporary era was the one era that they never put into open community testing. And it just feels like oh, it's, it's bad. Not yeah. It's just not done. It's like there's just whole mechanics that aren't done. Um, so I don't know. I feel bad because I've been bashing the game a lot <laughs> in this show. Why are you laughing? You should be. You should be like, no, I praise you. You were fair and balanced. Um, but yeah, I, I I like it a lot more than I like talking about it. I think it when I talk about yeah. it, I sort of realize there's so all these things that bug me about it, and there's so many expectations I had that weren't really met, and it's not the sort of game I think showcases amplitude's best stuff but i actually you know playing it really did enjoy it i gave it a 71 that's a good score i will yeah. fight anyone who says it's not no i Come gave it a me, seven commenters. and i feel the same way i'm saying it's good it's yeah. not great but it's good it's a good game but it bums that's me what a out. seven means I wish, it literally means good because <laughs> i can see so, how amplitude yeah. could have made this so much better and yeah. it would have been by just being more amplitude uh, but I still, it gets a recommendation from me. You know, it's like, if you like Civ, but you've played too much Civ, but you still want some Civ, here's a Civ <laughs> that you can play today. <laughs> would That's you, would you recommend it to, But here, here's the thing. Would you recommend it to people who are completely burned out on Civ? Like, do you feel like this could nah, reinvigorate nah. the forex? I'd say play Old World, I, because that reinvigorates... Yeah, what, what a, what about you, Rowan? I'm curious. These two types of gamers, the people who already love Civ and the people who are totally burned out on Civ, do you think it appeals to one, both, neither? I don't like talk. I don't think that it's good to talk about this game as a fully completed thing. I think we're functionally in an early access period with it. Yeah, but we're not. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but we're not. But we're, we're, we're not. But like, we, they've had a whole early access period for like over a year. <laughs> this is the released game that's out today, the day we're recording. Not the day you're listening. Um, but but is that today, right? Everything yeah. that I have, go everything that I have talk, ah, well, yeah. Everything that I have talked <laughs> about with this game is that there is a really good part of this game that is the main part of this game, the part that actually has me going back to continue playing it more instead of immediately switching to something else. That part, there is something there that I think is good and special. It just needs to be revealed and how you reveal it and how what Amplitude can do to make sure that it gets revealed is a process that may require patches it may require mods it may require you personally sitting down and wrestling with the options menu across 20 different campaigns (laughs) it may require all these things but i have seen it it's in there it is for lack of a better word like special in the way that i want this genre to to move into it's not like Endless Legend where it's this narrative thing that I'm not sure about the systems. It's not like Stellaris, which doesn't have a mid-game. It's not like... Uh, Stellaris has more of a mid-game now, but it's a lot more internally focused. It's it's still the worst part. Yeah. Um, 
And it's not like Civ 5 and Civ 6 where you're just kind of trying to reach the end game and there's no dynamism in there. This has the dynamism that I want. This is closer to the paradox. Old World is does what? interesting what? things and similar. Yes. This is what I'm saying. If you're if you are if you manage to get a difficulty level where the AI does literally fucking anything, then there is dynamism on this map. It shit happens, which is the thing that doesn't happen in Stellaris or Civilization Uh, anymore. This is what I'm talking about. It takes fucking work to get there. And Amplitude needs to be the people who are doing most of that work, but it's probably going to end up being players and modders who have to figure that out. And yeah, I like, played on a small map with a high difficulty and it's it's better, it's more dynamic, but it's not to the sort of full of surprises, no idea where the fuck this is going level of like CK3 it's, or something like oh, that. CK3, or, I know where it's a, going. CK3 either, or, is that I'm going to make an empire that takes over the entire fucking EU4, world. Or any EU4, sort of paradox game. EU4 is the better comp. CK3 is a great comp for this because as a strategy game player, I know how to make that game incredibly fucking easy and boring. Um, CK3 can still throw curveballs at you, though, and I don't feel like Old World has a way to do that currently. Um, I... Like you said, yeah, you have to set it up a certain way that it's going to generate consistent conflicts, and then those are going to be yeah consistent but predictable conflicts I, I, versus. I didn't find you know, that CK three did that, but like if you did, that's great. Okay. I know that I know yeah. that Paradox can do it, so I believe you. I just didn't end up having yeah. it happen, and I think I feel like I'm being tricked into more... shitting on humankind again. Well, <laughs> no, here, well, here's the thing. It, so. I, I I think Rowan has a very good point here, which is when I think about where humankind is at now, and then I think back to day one Civilization V, those feel fairly similar to me. Because, like, Civilization V didn't even have a religion system at launch. Like, people were furious about it. Um, there was no religion system at all. And then, like, Gods and Kings came out, and I was like, okay, we're getting there. And then... Um, uh, what was the second expansion for Civ Five called? I can't think it of it. It was the Trade Route expansion. I don't remember what yeah, it was the, called. The but second the... expansion for Civ Five. That's when I was like, now we're talking. And uh, Civ Six, to some extent, <clears throat> that's that's a very different story because I think both of Civ Six's big expansions failed to live up to their potential in major ways. But um, I think humankind, with a couple of expansions especially if they're not afraid to get a little weird with it. Um, could be a game that I genuinely love. Um, I just don't think it's in great. It's it's good. It's a good game now. I think it could be great for sure. Um, if they if they do, if they have more time to work on it, if they expand on some of the things that are currently bare bones, if they maybe uh, add in some ways to shore up parts of it that currently are sagging for me. I will go, I'll try playing on Civilization difficulty, I'll try playing on Humankind difficulty even, see if that changes my uh, my impression of it. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, that's... When, yeah. when it puts pressure on you, you can see the greatness. It just is really okay. fucking right. hard to see, to get to a point <laughs> where you're actually sufficiently pressured and not in a way where you're just being absolutely crushed. And, you know, it that's took like me like... like talking to a Sekiro fan. <laughs> I am a Sekiro. 
I'm on Twitter all the time talking about how I'll boot up Sekiro just because the combat feels so good that it doesn't even matter when I uh, what my goal is. I just want to feel that feeling and doing that. And it's like uh, with my hands. Yeah. And it, um, I mean, <laughs> and like we have seen what this genre looks like when you sort of tilt it towards the city builder. Civ 6, I think, is like yeah. most of the way to a really, really good city builder. And that city builder might actually be slipways, but <laughs> do we need to re-record the slipways episode? But this game is not an especially good city builder. It is a good, you know, four X that involves a bunch of rivals fighting one another. If it successfully puts you in that place, it's just made it way too fucking hard to get to that place. I'm not even sure that the the civilization difficulty <laughs> is what something I can recommend yet. Um, I definitely got past Empire, but it sort of feels like the early game might be too hard and then everything after the early game might be too easy. But right now I'm willing to keep trying. And I think that's the important thing, like going back to what Fraser said about like, it's very easy to shit on this game. And that's why I'm trying to talk it up. Because I These have caveats <laughs> are amazing, though. It's like it's like it, it's not a finished game. It's like an early access. Well, this isn't a DLC. These are these are around with it and change. It's like oh my god. These are caveats. These are that. That's the exact. That's the problem with the fucking genre. This is the my problem with Civ. This is my problem with Solaris. The 4X genre is built on this idea that you should be able to play any fucking map of any fucking size with any fucking Civ and do any fucking victory. And it's just bad game design. You look at the games that we're willing to happily play and load up a new campaign, and it's a game that has a static map. It's a total war. It's a Crusader Kings. It's a Europa Universalis. These are things that can actually be balanced so that whatever country you click on, you might be having a good time. Instead of spending six hours in an options menu or 20 hours restarting every game until you get a map that actually seems fun to play. Like, this is what I'm sick of. But, given that I am sick of that, Humankind does do some good stuff if you manage to succeed at getting through that bullshit. <laughs> Fraser, do you have any final thoughts? I want to go back. To... That's my final thought. Okay. I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Rowan, did you have any final thoughts that we didn't we didn't uh, we didn't? I didn't. I didn't specifically hit on the difficult or not difficulty diplomacy. Wrong. You definitely talked about difficulty. Yes. There's one aspect of the diplomacy that I really like, which is basically that it's built on brinksmanship. And if you just have really stupid, foolish pride about bullshit, then you will go to war all the time. And it's really hard to say, okay, it's just not worth it some of the time and I, I like that it makes you gamble like that I like that it makes you get in your full George W. Bush mode of if I don't get what I want I'm going to throw a tip or tip wait no this is a terrible idea and I'll ruin everything um, and I think that that is as as you mentioned Lynn it's one of the best the best parts of the game um, but yeah specifically that it, it pushes you to make these decisions but again it all ties back to difficulty where if you're stronger than the ai you can just bully them however you want 
All right. Well, that is, uh, that's our initial thoughts on Humankind. I feel like, and I hope it's a game that we have not heard the last of. I hope uh, it will continue to expand and improve on it uh, as time goes on. And we might, uh, we might be back here talking about it at some point in the future. Um, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can head on over to idlethumbs.net slash 3MA if you would like to check out the discussions going on on the Idle forums. Uh, we're also supported by listeners just like you on patreon.com slash 3MA, where you can gain access uh, to what Rob still calls our super secret Discord server, uh, the worst kept secret in strategy games, uh, where we talk about all kinds of stuff. Um, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's a fun, wild place to be. Um, what and, a recommendation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Twitter at 3MA is our tag over there on the bird site. Uh, this episode was produced by me. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of 3MA. But until then, for Rowan and for Fraser, this is Len saying goodnight.